And it all comes down to this. Two on, two out. Bottom of the ninth, the Farmers lead by one. Full count. Here comes the play at the plate. And it's the Agview pitch. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Agview Pitch and we are heading into a new market week and you've got Chris Barron and Dwayne Lowry. How are you today, Dwayne? Good, Chris. Uh, how are you doing? Great, great. Had a good time at the Farm Futures Business Summit. It was great to be there and, and hang out with you and, and uh, listen to some of the speakers. I think it was a pretty good conference. It was a very good conference. Uh, a lot of good speakers, a lot of good conversations that take place during the breaks with uh, different producers there. And um, it was a, a very good event. I think so. So um, with that said, you know, there were some uh, folks that are talking markets and stuff. And um, and as we kind of finished up the week and, and looked at the screen, we had some red on the screen there again this week. And I think, you know, we if we would have just finished, you know, kind of, flat on corn at the end of the week we probably would have been slightly higher on corn wouldn't we have for the week yeah we finished slower on the week but uh, not down very much um we i think for the the week in general um uh, we were only off uh about two cents i think for the week i think it's also important important to put out that in context uh on thursday you had the highest settlement you had since uh the uh, 17th of october and uh, basis levels are firm and things of this nature. So Friday was maybe a disappointment, but in context, uh, you know, you, you're, you're up here at the, at the uh, highest levels you've been here for a couple of months. So I, I, don't, or I don't think the price action is bad. We don't want to see Friday's weakness build a lot of momentum, which I don't think it will. Um, but uh, the, the bean market is, you know, looks more, troubling because we've had such a deep, deep correction here after, you know, getting the highest cash prices farmers had had in a year and a half, uh, almost two years uh, at the end of December and and hovering up there for much of the first part of January. You know, this, the depth of this correction in beans is, is somewhat disappointing. Um, I'm not sure I have a good reason for it. I don't think it's fundamentally driven. I think it's more a situation of Punishing buyers from the um, after getting the uh, U.S.-China trade deal, uh, buyers came in. I think we're in the process of liquidating them out, and I think that liquidation process is is pretty mature. Yeah, on on the corn, you know, if you look at DS20, um, I showed a chart uh, in my presentation at the um, at the Farm Futures Business Summit on kind of where our growers are at on our profit manager program in terms of sort of an average um, quote unquote price that's needed to maybe possibly get started on some marketing and that, you know, that 410 range on the D20 would, would get a lot of the people that we've worked with so far sort of in the black to maybe start making some sales, which would cover, you know, all of their expenses essentially on the corn side of things at least. Um, what what's your thought there? I mean, um, odds of getting there, or you know, any any projections there? And and you know, are we are we uh, wild and crazy for starting to plug some sales in there? What's your thought and your perspective on that? I think the odds of getting an opportunity to price these twenty corn at four ten 
or higher are, are very, very good. I would ex, uh, ex fully expect that, that opportunity to be presented in terms of is it right to be looking for to make sales? I think that uh, you have to say that it is right to be looking at making some sales at profitable levels, number one. I think number two, um, you have to be concerned about uh, a larger number of acres. You have to be concerned about uh, carryout levels uh, rising under the uh, additional acres uh, if yields are, go back to something more normal with normal being defined the, as the last four or five years absent last year. And uh, um, so I think that is a threat. But it's not a given that that's the final scenario that we're dealing with. Uh, we may very well be dealing with a situation where uh, China uh, commits to taking their uh, WTO quantity for corn, which would be eight or nine million tons. Um, if they did that in this marketing year, which I expect that they will, that is not in the current balance sheet. And it's all of a sudden carry out then gets down to uh, um, well, you got eight times four, it's 320 million. That puts carry out under a billion six, a billion five something. You do the same thing in the next marketing year, and suddenly those extra acres don't seem quite as burdensome. Also, um, in order to get the burdensome scenario, you have to get, you know, an, uh, the upper parameters of yields we've seen in the last five years. And uh, it's certainly possible, but never a, a given but it's something that we have to plan on. Um, from a technical perspective, getting these corn back to 420 or 430 is not an unreasonable possibility. Um, probably needs a little bit of help with old prop corn moving up. Probably need to see some confirmation that China's gonna step in and buy that type of quantity of old crop corn. Um, but if and when that happens, that balance sheet outlook looks quite a bit different than it looks like now. I mean, that's in a two-year combined, that's 640 million bushels off the balance sheet that is not off there now. So what I'm saying is the, the threat of the larger acres is the rising carryout. The rising carryout could be offset by uh, export demand from the U.S. So um, I think that's something to keep in mind. I'm not trying to say that's a reason not to sell corn at those levels. But I am saying that it's a reason to uh, still have some optimism that you will get that opportunity. Yeah, I, I think from my perspective, what I like to see people start thinking about this time of year is, you know, some getting this some perspective on where the price opportunities might lay. And are you close to your, your margin target, which hopefully is at a profitable level. Sometimes sales have to be made around that range or maybe even get started at a level you'd like to be higher at. But, you know, when we look at it, to me, it's all about putting some offers in because if you don't have those targets in place, you know, you're talking, you know, we could get through that 410, but if you don't have some, you know, targets in there to sell, we could be there for like five minutes, right? And, you know, I mean, you get there, but you're not there very long a lot of times. Yeah, I definitely would advocate having sales uh, orders uh, in, uh, whether that's futures or options or whether that's, you know, cash contracts, ATA, HTAs or whatever. I definitely would advocate having those sales in. I'd even have those sales in, you know, uh, at whatever level you wanted to between 410 and 430 and, and just put them in. If those are levels that work, which 
I would imagine those are levels that work at least for starting sales anyway. I, yeah, I would definitely advocate that for the same reason, like you said, the, the amount of time that you spend there often um, isn't very long. And the other thing that happens is once you get there, um, there's usually some headline story there that get, causes you pause or second thoughts about making that sale. And during that pause and second thought, that's the time it backs off and all of a sudden the sale is gone. So I'm, I'm definitely an advocate of having the orders in place. Yeah. And on the soybean side of that same discussion, then, you know, we're, we've settled back so much and we were getting close. Um, you know, our numbers, unfortunately, are closer to 10 on the soybean side when we really look at true cost production on average. And I know we've got growers that that are at this point yet probably profitable on the soybeans. But on the same token, we have more people that we work with that probably need another 50 cents again back on soybeans. And so um, what about on soybeans? Probably the same thing. I mean, I'd be an advocate for putting some offers in there too. Do you have any, any qualms with that? No, but my price level targets on soybeans would probably be, you know, $10 and above. I don't have any interest in making sales here. And uh, if you are at these kind of prices, I'm not sure that the farmer is going to plant um, as many beans as maybe the marketplace would like. We have to keep in mind that the soybean carryout was cut in more than half in the last marketing year. We also have to keep in mind that um, if uh, China lives up to their uh, agreement on this phase one, um, we haven't even begun to feel any of that in the marketplace because the marketplace is largely uh, driven by a naysayer sentiment regarding that. And most people don't think it's going to happen. If it does happen, it's a lot different situation than what the marketplace is currently trading. And I think it, uh, I'm one that from the day, day one uh, believe that they will fulfill this agreement and it would be a big deal. I'm still in that camp. So uh, you're one in ten. You're, you're one in ten on that, Dwayne. I you think. mean one out of ten people are in that camp. The believe. I think you're on the on the outside of that. <laughs> you're oh. on the opposite side of the boat. It's leaning heavily the other way. I think it seems like you know so many people are, as you said, just just don't trust China. Don't believe they're gonna step forward. Think they're gonna buy whiskey or some other kind of crazy. Um, food source, quote unquote, food source. And, but I don't, like you've said in the past, I don't know how they get to that dollar amount, but I think at the same time, people think they're going to, they're going to, you know, step away and not hold their, their honor, their side of the, of the deal. Well, you're correct in thinking that's how people are assessing how that's how people think. Uh, But I think that's also uh, sets the stage that when they find out that it's different than that. There's a market reaction ahead. And using your analysis analogy where where everybody's on one side of the boat, I just remind people that to, to know know what happens when all the Boy Scouts are on one side of the canoe. Right. That capsized. Right. So right. I'll stick I'll stick with my uh, viewpoint. I'm very comfortable with that. I am totally convinced China will adhere to it because they only made this deal because they had a, a greater vision of, of their need for making the deal. And that was to eventually get the tariffs removed and to help their overall economy. And I think that they are, uh, made a lot of concessions to get to this deal. 
And I think their their goal was not necessarily to get to this deal, but this deal was necessary to get to what they want their goal to be. And uh, if they don't fulfill this uh, commit these commitments, they're not going to get the next phase. And I think that's they yeah. desperately want that well, next phase. One of the other things too, Dwayne, you know, and um, being a nighttime Netflix viewer, I've been watching this uh, series on pandemic. And um, ironically, you know, it starts getting you a little concerned and you start realizing, you know, in flu season and what a pandemic does and how catastrophic it can be, not only to the people, but also to the economy and stuff. And and now we're starting to hear a lot with this coronavirus and stuff going on in China. Is there anything to that or what what are you hearing there? It's been a market topic and discussion the last few days. Um, <clears throat> I think that. Uh, um, we're still in the early stages. We don't know exactly what we're dealing with. We don't can't be speak super confidently on it. At the same token, the first outbreak of that in China was noted, uh, found in the middle part, latter part of uh, December. And um, um, there's been, I think, around 2,000 cases reported. And there's been around 50 deaths reported. And... Uh, uh, Maybe then we also have the, their Lunar New Year festival this coming week. That in some locations travel is restricted. Uh, that might hamper the flow somewhat. But after the next two weeks, after we've had all this traveling taking place in China, people return to their home. Um, then we'll have a better handle on just what it is we're dealing with. But um, in today's instant information age and everything's available on social media, uh, that tends to fuel an expansion of fear much more quickly and, and often when it's not necessarily warranted. And I question whether it's warranted here just from the standpoint people want to compare it to SARS, which is something that happened back in 2002 and 2003. At that time, that SARS virus got up to a 60 to 80 percent uh, mortality rate. The mortality rate right now is uh, something less than 4%. Maybe it, it's 2%, but let's just say it's, it's less than 4%. I think that's a huge difference. Um, the CDC has kind of downplayed this as far as the U.S. reaction is concerned. Um, some of the global health organizations have also uh, declined to uh, elevate their threat level to uh, a more of a, a global uh, health emergency type of situation. And so um, I think there are scientists that are well into this process of uh, evaluating and learning uh, about this and trying to determine what the future holds. And I would say that that's somewhat downplayed in, in terms of markets. Um, to the extent that this is a, a problem, I think it's a problem for the travel industry uh, both inside in China and and uh, maybe globally, uh, but inside China, it's a travel problem, it's a restaurant problem, it's a hotel problem, it's a tourist problem. Uh, so it may impact them economically. Uh, but if if people's not eating at a restaurant, they're still eating at home. I I don't see a a threat or a reaction here that's justified in any uh, agricultural market whatsoever. Possibly there's a, a, uh, a threat to, on the, the Dow side and the stock side because of certain sectors. But even so, that, I'm not sure that's a, 
a long-lived uh, uh, threat. So I, I don't see any impact on it agriculturally. I know that people have been trying to talk about that the last few days, but again, I'll go back to Thursday. Thursday's settlement in corn was the highest since October 17th, I think it was. So the highest in three months. And um, um, that day on Thursday and the day before, the marketplace wanted to use this uh, coronavirus storyline as a reason to be negative. And so Friday, the market's down and, and we blame the coronavirus for it. And um, certainly that was a talking point. Um, but I think that it's also point, important to point out that soybeans have been involved in a correction process. Maybe this last week's trade has been the culmination of that. The corn market had just, like I said, had a nice run on it with virtually no correction. And so, so if they're down, you know, Friday and then maybe they get a little bit of follow through, you know, early this week, I don't see that as a problem. And I don't see a fundamental baseline reason for markets to retreat here uh, to any degree from where it is right now. What about, um, I'm kind of throwing darts at the bean market here, so you can hope you can try to knock them down here for me, make me feel better. But what about South American weather and, and the crop coming on there and then, you know, access to supplies there as opposed to here? Any any comments on that? Um, I would say their production is coming along fine. I don't think they've had any major threats, any long lasting threats. I think the forecast is not that troublesome at different times in the like even last week. There were a few days where there were some concerns about day you know, 11 or day 15 forward, uh, but that doesn't mean that's how it's actually going to pan out. And uh, the only the only real threat that's occurred down there weather-wise was, was uh, with their safrina corn uh, uh, crop that's been uh, delayed in its planting, which might impact yields, might impact acreage. Um, so maybe some reduction there. Otherwise, I don't think that, that we've seen anything that's problematic as far as that is concerned. Okay. Um, I guess another thing I want to ask you about, and this is looking at the 2020 crop, but, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I, in case I heard it wrong, but didn't Informa come out with like a combined corn soybean of like 179? Is that right? Um, I don't remember exactly what the figure was, figures were, but they did come out and there was some uh, question about that t combined figure. And, and like uh, 86 that, million on soybeans. Yes, like that. It was, it was around 93 something on corn and 86 something on beans, I believe. Yeah. What's your what's your take on that? Any take on that? I'm thinking I don't have a reason to argue with them. I don't know what that breakdown is going to be. Uh, I'm not sure producers have fully made their decisions yet. I think they're at different times from harvest forward. There's been times where producers thought that they might want to increase their bean acreage and there's a, you talk to another producer and uh, they're going to be they're pretty strong about wanting to stay with corn and i think a lot of those decisions are going to be made not they're, they wonder they're not going to be made until they see their february insurance rates i i think that's still something that people would like to see before they make those decisions and uh, um, i think that the price ratio of corn beans right now um, is certainly not buying any bean acres. And I think there's a case can be made that 
that the 86 million is not enough. And so I think the marketplace might still have a desire to buy some acres. And as far as the corn is concerned, I think uh, there are places that because beans just don't work out well enough, they're probably still committed to corn, but they're somewhat nervous of that based on the storyline that you brought up early in, in this conversation about larger acreage. And uh, so I think farmers have been nervous about that ever since last summer, that 2020 would have a big increase in corn acreage. And um, but I'm my sense is farmers have not made finalized those decisions yet. How do you feel the farmer is reacting to those decisions? Well, I, I don't think there's a lot of reaction yet. And that's my, my question and why I bring up that I think we need to be at least looking at that, that margin target and putting some offers in to take a little risk off the table going into 2020. That's kind of why I was asking you those questions in the beginning, because it just it looks to me like there's there's a threat out there potentially of of uh, you know if we do have good weather um, the market you know 2019 we had all we had darts thrown at us all year actually we had bombs thrown at us all year it seemed like and the market reacted for a while and then supposedly we still grew a pretty massive crop in in the face of the some of the most adversity I think that I've ever seen in my farming career. And so it just makes me think that, you know, when we got price levels where we're at, and if you take your five-year yield average and do the math on it, um, there are ways to take risk off the table right now. Um, there was able to do that in beans a while ago, not so much now. So I think I'd lean more more heavily towards the corn. I know in the South, there's a lot of cotton guys that we work with. They're going to be switching more heavily over to corn and and uh, so there's going to be more corn acres down there. Conversely, in the north, I think, you know, if, you know, there's a lot of guys up there that haven't even started harvesting corn yet. And it's muddy underneath and there's a foot of snow. So, you know, what do you do? You know, those could be bean acres then or a bunch more prevent plant, you know. So, I don't know. To me, there's just so much up in the air carried forward from last year's confusion that I think some of that confusion is going to carry forward into 2020, in my opinion. I guess well, that's my take. I, I would say this, Chris. I totally respect your view on margin targets and, and uh, having price offers in at those levels. I get that. I'm totally behind that. I can't bring myself to uh, recommend producers make sales right here, right now at this level because I think for many producers, it's really not a profitable level, uh, not unless they get you know some yields that they can't fully uh, bank on. And... Uh, um, until I see the crop insurance rate, I'm sitting here thinking, what's the advantage of making a sale? Uh, during the uh, once the crop insurance rate is is set, if I want revenue protection, I can get a product for 95% uh, protection, and I think that cost of paying for that insurance product is going to be less than the cost of making sales at sub profitable levels, and. Um, uh, I'm just not willing to make those sales recommendations at current values. I'm going to at least wait until I have a handle on what that crop insurance rate is going to be, and that's going to be, term be determined during the next month. So I'm not going to uh, make any sales or recommendations on either corn or beans right now. I think they're based on the calls and emails that, uh, that I've had over the last, I'll say, 60 days, 
and some, many of them recently, I think producers are facing situations with their lenders where the lenders are, aren't willing to uh, even finalize their 2020 line of credit for inputs. And, uh, and I think that until, uh, I think part of that is driven, they'd like to see what this insurance uh, well, price Dwayne, is going to be as well. Dwayne, I've seen some lenders put 350 on the cash flow projection at their five-year yield average, and that really makes it look bad. And until the farmer can prove that their risk is off the table to the their level of profitability, which in a lot of cases that's 50 cents probably, and so that you know, and I'm not saying you you go out and sell a whole bunch, but I'm just saying I think a lot of lenders want to see some risk off the table. Um, before they're completely comfortable. And it's not to say they won't renew the line of credit. In most cases, I think they will. But I think on the same token, um, and, and they can't make, you know, because of fiduciary, you know, and rules and regulations, they can't, they can't necessarily give growers advice, but they can just not loan them, you know, renew their line of credit in some cases, uh, you know, and maybe delay that until they see that, you know, farmers have taken some risk off the table. And, and that's, that was my only point. I think, you know, uh, uh, some level of, of participation above that 410 range, having some targets in for maybe 10 or 15% to get started to show the lender that you're on, <clears throat> excuse me, that you're on it. I think that's, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that's kind of what a lot of the lenders are looking for. Because there's well, a lot of operations with nothing priced. Well, I don't have a problem with people having offers in from 410 on up as a starting point and things of this nature. I'm not willing to make those sales now. And in terms of making a sale now being correlated with taking risk off the table, if you're selling at a loss, I don't know how you've taken risk off the table. I would look at the crop insurance program as being my, my floor, my benchmark of what risk is. And right. if I'm not comfortable with my risk per se, then I'm going to look to a 95% uh, revenue protection policy. To me, that's a better choice and a cheaper mode of protection than selling uh, bushels at a loss and that you're not going to get to market again. That doesn't make sense to me. If things are that bad, then you have to wonder why you're even planting the seed to begin with. Um, you know, the, I've been around this business 40 years, and I'm telling you, the marketplace is saturated with fear and pessimism and uh, uh, and that's not just I'm not talking about the Chicago markets I'm talking from ground level on up the banker is completely dominated by fear the producer level has been dominated by fear and frustration since last summer okay and and especially for the 2020 season and just like you pointed that that when I commented about the uh, uh, an optimism towards China. Here we get a China trade agreement, and it's 90% of the people are pessimistic about the trade agreement ever coming to pass. What at what point on what sphere of the landscape do you point to and say, oh, there's optimism there, or there's no pessimism, you know, there? I say that the place is dominated with fear. And like I said, I've been in the business 40 years. You don't have a marketplace saturated with fear and discouragement at this level that turns out to be a top. This is not your best marketing year price of the 2020 season. It can't be with this level of fear and saturation, uh, fear and depression 
saturated in the marketplace. And I'm going to stick with that as a, as a benchmark reason not to make a sale here. And I'm going to uh, lean on the fact that until I get that crop insurance price determined in the next, which is only the next 30 days, I'm going to lean on that for a reason not to make a sale. And then I'm going to go back and lean on the values of Deese corn over the last four or five years. And every single year I was given an opportunity to sell at better than this level. And I was given that opportunity after the crop insurance deadline. So I'm not going to make that sale now and I'm not going to advocate that sale. Now I will advocate the offers above the market at levels that are profitable. I'm not going to advocate people make sales now just to get started or just to get risk off the table. I don't see the, the prudence in that, um, especially given the backdrop where the marketplace is dominated with fear right now. Yeah, and I and I think as time goes on, we get through this next week or this coming, you know, this week we're in now. We get through this week, um, and then next week we start in that price discovery period. I think we'll we'll um, throw a teaser out there. We'll have some conversations around you know, where, where that insurance number starts and then kind of where it goes throughout the month and, and kind of talk about some strategies use, utilizing the insurance because I'm 100% with you on the insurance side of things. Um, and we can kind of talk about the price points of the different levels of coverage and the value that they bring because I'm, I'm thinking there's some, some topics there that we'll definitely need to discuss. Well, I think we could have a whole podcast just on crop insurance and the philosophy of buying an 80% policy versus buying a 95% policy. And right. if you want revenue protection, there is no better way to get revenue protection. People, you know, uh, step back a little bit when they see the price tag on that insurance, but that insurance protection uh, for that price tag is still cheaper and easier to do than any well, type of marketing plan that will get you that same level. Dwayne, what is a, what is a taking you from 85 to 95? What would that be on a per acre basis that? Well, I don't have the, the insurance stuff in front of me. Um, Just so throw I, a, a rough yes, number. I, I don't know. I'll say it's maybe as much as, you know, 15 or $20 an acre more than what but people. If it's $20, that's only 10 cents a bushel. Exactly. Corn. You so can't, I mean, you can't go out and buy puts to get that kind of protection. Right. People don't and, realize how cheap that policy is. Right. It may it may look high per acre, but it's not really high and, when you uh, consider the value. You got to look at it on terms of a cost per bushel, and then the value that its protection brings. We'll we'll have a whole conversation about that here in the near term, for sure. The other thing, over a ten year history, that policy pays out more frequently than an eighty percent policy. Right. And, uh, you know, there's studies that would suggest that if you did that every single year in the long run, considering your payback, you're, it's actually the cheapest policy you could buy. Well, it's the most valuable, I would, is how I would say it. I, I wouldn't, I'd, I'd say it's the most valuable protection. It's my analogy always on that, on those higher levels of coverage is always like, you know, you can buy a used Buick or you can buy a Cadillac and you're going to get what you pay for. So you know, it's, it's, it's just a, a higher quality vehicle to protect risk for sure. Another thing that I want to say along this same storyline here is, um, um, cash corn basis is still firm. Like I said, Thursday, that was the highest, uh, futures had been since mid October and export basis has firmed. And there still is a highly probable chance that China is going to take a sizable chunk of U.S. corn. And there's also indications that 
the U.S. corn export opportunities over the next few months is going to increase quite a bit from what we've had before based on availability of, of competitor supplies as they were more front-end loaded uh, during their, their marketing season when, when we were backing off on ours during the unknown aspects of the 2019 production from about mid-May forward. So I think the, the landscape looks a lot different than what the majority of the, the people are buying into. Um, so um, you, 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 if corn basis at the export market is continuing to ramp up, and it probably gained four cents last week, um, there has to be a, a reason for that. And it, it certainly can't be one of poor demand. That is not our reason. And uh, if you looked at global demand, global demand has been very, very good. And U.S. demand was export demand was harmed a lot. But I personally believe, and I as said so in the real time at the time, that our exports were cut back and the, the desire to export out of the U.S. was cut back as other uh, uh, locations became more of a preferred uh, place to export from because I think there was a, uh, an, uh, a sense in the U.S. that why export U.S. supplies and then be forced to import them in the next marketing year, which was a, a dominant theme until probably mid-July. And I think that during that window from uh, between 1st of April when the river opened and cr created problems for the river navigation system and then the... Uh, problems with the late planning and all the fears associated with that from there until mid-July I think that the exporters were inclined to not want to export corn out of the U.S. they were driven to export out of other locations and proof of that was seen when you saw that Brazil and Argentina how much they were front-end loaded on their corn export program and then that was followed up in Argentina with export tariffs in December to protect their domestic supply. So, you know, I think that a lot of things happened last year to hurt our exports that were not driven by demand, but were yet instead driven by a, a, a decision to not export as aggressively out of the U.S. for all the reasons I described. So I think that the landscape opportunities ahead of us are better than what last year showed us for those reasons and i think you have to add into that you know 320 million bushels of corn to export to china as being a highly likely development this year that was is not part of the current balance sheet yep i would echo what you're saying on basis strength too this this last week we've we've got some emails from some of our clients and stuff and in the same thing like in the our in our local area in cedar rapids they're there were um, offers on Saturday, quick ship bids for, you know, eight over. And then the other thing, too, is what you see posted and what you can get on a phone call a lot of times is another five to, and in, in some cases, 10 cents, depending on what you're willing to take them. Um, so these are basis levels are pretty much higher than I've almost ever seen before on some of these spot, spot um, quick ship bids. And the reality is that in most reg regions, other than a day or two scattered, um, have you had a better uh, December, January in terms of weather-wise to be able to for the farmer to go out there and decide he's going to, you know, uh, load corn and ship corn? I, I don't think he could have had a better year. So here you've had the weather and the environment entice the farmer to make the sale. You had the, all the negativity in the place, including the bankers 
pushing some to liquidate inventory and get it off the inventory sheet and into the cash side of the on the balance sheet and uh, all of these things happening and yet basis is still very firm um i still think there's a story there yeah it's definitely a head scratcher the uh, basis can't lie to you anyway can it so it's it tells you kind of a story but any final thoughts Dwayne? We'll, we'll get things wrapped up here um at the at the risk of having um something major any final thoughts not really i would just say that uh the bean market has had a very sizable correction from a technical perspective it's extremely mature you have the negativity in the marketplace and the last headline to drive it is the um, uh, uh, coronavirus storyline you have uh, the corn market that has performed well the spreads have been performing well i didn't even mention that there's a story right there but i won't go into it um, but the, the spreads are painting a, a, a quality picture and a constructive picture. The technical conditions have been constructive, and Friday's sell-off in corn may prove to be only you know a, a one- or two-day event, with Friday being day one. I don't think we have to see a lot of follow-through, and I would suspect that to the extent that the coronavirus is impacting agricultural markets or did impact them on Friday, I think we will find stabilization and some recovery here um, very quickly this week. And uh, I, I think that the outlook here is much better than the prevailing sentiment suggests. Sounds good, Dwayne. Thanks a lot. And and for all of you who are listening, if you're new listeners that, that just started listening to us after being at the Farm Futures Business Summit, Dwayne um, does a, a daily newsletter. And so... Um, you know, make sure you listen to the closing remarks here in the podcast and uh, be sure to to reach out to Dwayne if you're interested in getting that newsletter, because I think it's a it's a pretty valuable um, commentary every day that kind of keeps you up to date with what's going on in the markets. And and also, uh, you know, like you said, like we said, Dwayne, I think we'll have some conversations on uh, insurance and some of the strategies and stuff tying together the marketing and strategies with managing the risk. So with that, Dwayne, it was a great conversation and we'll look forward to talking to you next time. All right. Thank you, Chris. You bet. And thanks everybody for listening to the AgView pitch and we will catch you next time. If you haven't already, be sure to check out our recently revamped website at agviewsolutions.com. There's now a useful tools tab where you can download some free tools that Chris has developed to better help your operation in 2020 and beyond. And you can learn more under the consulting tab about what we do. If you have any questions, please give Chris a call at 319-533-5703 or email at cbaron at agviewsolutions.com. If you want to talk marketing, shoot Dwayne Lowry an email at D-U-A-N-E-L at netins.net. Be sure to ask him about his daily market commentary. Subscribe and share the podcast to stay up to date on the most recent podcast. Have a great rest of your week, everyone, and we will catch you next time on the Eggview Pitch.